Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Bobcast. With you, as always, is Bob, live in the lounge, staring at the Ouija board. You know, being in a band, you know, uh, and playing your instrument, you know, sometimes you're expressing yourself through that said instrument, whether it be four strings on the bass, whether it be six strings on the electric guitar, it's your voice coming through, you know? But it's not really your voice, right? So, I mean, like, I take pride in having musicians come on my show and have them chat a bit about what it is they're trying to express through said instrument. Uh, tonight's guest, he's got so many credits, I'm not going to go through all of them, but I just can tell you this, that he's been around. He knows what he's doing. He's a credible musician who's been in and out of the studio. We're going to talk about all his various different projects throughout the evening. But I'm super stoked because sometimes in the podcast world, you know, like you can't get the podcast to, to work, you know, and like it keeps getting pushed, pushed, pushed. But then one day it happens. With that being said, here we are live tonight with Mr. Mr. Justin Mazer. How are you, sir? Good to see you, Bob. Good to chat with you. It's been quite a while since we've spoken. When was the last time? Because my memory's foggy before I had a child. Like, it's like basically a blur sometimes, you know, like rock and roll, like, you know, that I, I sometimes I, I joke about it, like rock and roll is like literally just waiting to play and then just waiting to shower afterwards for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, so, okay, it's 2021. So we got to take it back at least 10 years, I think, or probably a little bit longer to those couple of shows where whatever band I was playing in opened up for downtown harvest to this day, one of my favorite bands of all time. Oh, wow, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, and I mean that I was actually trying to find a t-shirt because I have one or two DTH t-shirts. I like the shirt you're wearing right now for the, for the people who uh, oh, are yeah. just listening. What is that image right there? This is my pod. I've, I've worn this on two different podcasts and it's just, um, I don't know. It's just this reptile dude that is holding a a bottle of probably alcohol and you know whatever about that. But I like I like it very much. Yeah, it's the first the first thing I saw when I when you uh, tuned on was like first your beard, then the shirt. But um, first off, thanks very much for the, uh, the kind words about Downtown Harvest. It was you know a good time um, in life, and you know like what I was saying at the beginning of the show, you're like trying to express yourself through your instrument. You know what I mean? So I guess. The age-old hysteric question would be, like, what made you, young Justin, decide, you know what, I'm going to give the guitar a shot? Let's see. Um, we're taking it back probably to um, maybe around 20 years ago at this point, and it was a combination of, um, there was like a, a, there was a local radio station that played classic rock that I now um I often troll and make fun of because they have a, a certain lack of support for local musicians in the community. However, they were responsible with providing me um, a lot of like the first time I've heard Led Zeppelin, Jimi Hendrix, all that stuff was on this this uh, Scranton, Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania based radio station called Rock 107. So hearing music from that radio station when I was going to school with my parents in the morning and hearing it on the radio, my brother had an electric guitar. My older brother, who's now a doctor of nuclear physics, much smarter than I am, um, he had an electric guitar that he wouldn't let me touch or look at. So naturally, uh, after being around that for so long, if, you're, if they say like somebody tells you not to touch the red button, you know, what do you what do you do? What do you think about doing? I got to I got to check this guitar out. My brother goes to baseball practice or something. So once I kind of got my hands on it, I was just uh immediately fascinated and intrigued and curious 
about how to start playing this thing. And, you know, 20 years later, I still have the same appetite for just trying to develop, you know, what, what it means to play guitar and like uh, you play, you play music as well. So you obviously are aware that like there's infinite things you could work on as an instrumentalist or a guitarist. So there's never really stuff to run out of working on or exploring. So I find myself still very excited over all of these things that I could still learn that I haven't gotten to yet. So it's just a con- yeah, it's an a infinite con- well to dip into, right? You just, there's, there's never an end to it. And that's, I guess it, like you can't really reach the end of being a golfer. I mean, like what, like just hole after hole, like hole in one, hole in one, but with music, um, I, I think about that too, like how it's uh, endless. But what I've been thinking about a lot lately is just like how, like, you know, um, you know, like if you think about it, the evolution of like the hom- hominoid and then like into, you know, the human version, but then like the human trying to express itself through like a piece of wood that was like, you, you know what I mean? Like the primitive stages of it and l- literally how it's like the the one thing that like in time at that one point, like totally separated the people the the people who lived in the forest from the animals who lived in the forest because imagine being the animals and hearing like the acoustic pickings for the first time like what the fuck is that you know what i mean like right. so it, it's kind of crazy too to me like you know as a music like we're both musicians so we both understand this but it hurts me very much and i'm sure it does you too because it's just an endless amount of decay that somebody can dump onto you and they're like well i used to play but i gave it up and it's just like you never really gave it up. You know what I mean? Like you, you and hear me out on this. Like some people think that they can't learn something. And like, I, I, I tend to disagree on that. It's just that you've been told that you can't do something or you've been discouraged or you've been shamed or somebody has done something like your brother where like, he was like, I'll be the fucking nuclear physics <laughs> physicist. And I will hide the guitar from the, the maestro who lives down the hallway. So that way one day he will continue to do what he's supposed to do on his sacred timeline, I guess. Right. But I mean, that sacred timeline. Absolutely. You know what I mean? So I just, I, I tend to think a lot about like how like music for me, uh, it's, it's a weird, weird dynamic too. Cause it's like, I feel like music is a release for me, like an endorphin. And a lot of times when I would be performing, even with downtown harvest, which wasn't necessarily, um, angst written music i i would come at it from a place of like battle you know what i mean like i was always at odds with myself i was always at odds with like what was ever going on you know and and now when i um i switched instruments i play just drums now like i have the bass but like i'm just a drummer every day now in the room since the pandemic began cool and i feel like you know I'm at the place now where like, well, yeah, I, I guess I could start a band. I could have a bunch of people, but like, I've never just done it for me. You know what I mean? Like, like smoke a bowl and then like go play like along to one of my favorite classic rock songs that I would hear on a radio station down here. You know what I mean? Like as a kid, like there's no other greater feeling like that. And um, quite honestly, Justin, I'm kind of scared to start <laughs> getting in another band. I mean, absolutely. And um I think you nailed it with what you said earlier, where like um, playing, being a musician means a lot of things, but for me, they're realistic in the idea that like gigs are going to come and go. They're going to be good. They're going to be bad. There's going to be great gigs. There's going to be gigs you don't want to have to do sometimes. Maybe if you, uh, you know, have your shit together enough, maybe over time you could do less of the stuff you don't want to do and more of the stuff you want to do, but it's never going to be easy. It's not supposed to be easy. 
Um, but in terms of just a working musician playing gigs, going out any given week, playing anywhere from a courtyard, you know, in Philadelphia to a nice uh, seated uh, venue, proper stage, whatever, I consider many gigs to be uh, like boxing matches. Because yes, yes. like you go, you, you, like, for example, you know, if you're at a gig where the sound is weird and maybe the, uh, you know, the headlining band were dicks or the opening, <laughs> band, the opening band took a long time getting their shit off stage, whatever, um, and you got to get in the headspace and go out there to try to play. Maybe you're on tour. Maybe, um, maybe you had a long travel day and maybe you weren't able to eat before you played. All right, you're on stage and now it's a boxing match where it's like, each song is like a round and every, you know, a guitar solo even. It's like sometimes if I'm doing an improvisational guitar solo where I'm not like I'm playing a written solo, sometimes I have to really, takes me a few rounds to get it to the point where like my brain got me four out of five rounds, but then I was able to like, you know, come through and, and end this guitar solo on something that I could live with and feel good about. And then even though it wasn't like a, a clean sweep i still i beat i won the boxing match in but i had to go like 21 rounds or something like that yeah i, I identify with everything you just said there i mean like you know i'm 41 years old and i can tell you that all the gigs where something went wrong are the ones that stand out the most vibrant in my memory collection you know like just there's so many times where like like also too like i would like i remember one time like um i don't know what what was all I just was off, you know, like that night or something. And I couldn't count in fours. I was counting in like three and a half. Like I was just out of it. I was I should have been playing that night. And I know that's hard for some people because they're like, oh, you're a musician. You should you be able to just be able to play? But it's like it's a very mood setting type like a professional mu musician affords the luxury of having the mood and setting be the same thing every night. For everybody else, it is just a shit show a boxing match of just pure anger aggression because no, like nobody's happy that you're there the sound guy's never happy like hey welcome to the club you're here like 18 hours earlier can we get you something to drink no like it, it never happens and it's a struggle and um you know i don't really see that happening in the bowling world like people aren't going to give you shit at the bowling alley if like you know if right. you, you can't get your ball cleaned in time but yeah i mean like uh there's so many so many gigs last week on the, on the show, I was talking about with a drummer named Rob Tate. Um, I mean, like performing on stage where the amp just goes out. Oh, we have a back line. It's cool. Use this back line. And then like, it blows out like two songs in, and then I'm just playing with like a, you know, broken speaker, just mimic miming for a little bit. And then I just felt like so stupid, you know, spilled beer before on myself, like <laughs> just dumb oh, stuff, yeah. man. <laughs> One time a bird shit on my guitar while I was playing. Oh man, dude. Which is like, honestly, I can't, I couldn't, I wasn't even mad. I'm like, this is, this is some weird, like to think about the odds of what it is required to just be in the right place at the right time. I was okay with it. I was like, did, I wasn't did the audience, mad. did the audience see what was happening? I don't think so, but it was right on the fretboard. Oh, that's perfect. Somebody had yeah. to see it. Like, did you see that bird shit on this guitar? And like it, it literally somewhere out there, someone has that memory of just being like, I remember I saw a bird take a shit. <laughs> and it took what if you're when you're performing it like it takes a couple of seconds to actually process what it is and how it like oh what is what is this like substance that's now on my oh my god this yeah. has to be bird shit 
are you serious? And then, all right, we'll finish the song and wipe it off. Where was it in location of your guitar neck? And were you on rhythm or lead or like what was going on there? <laughs> did you did you have to put your fingers in the bird shit? I think ultimately is my question there. I think I was able to not. I think it might have been like way up high, like in the 20th fret range. And thankfully, with whatever okay. band I was playing with, I wasn't trying to get that high up up the neck. Um, but still, I was just like I was I was like in awe. I was like, wow, this is fucking ridiculous that this could even happen. But I, after you play music for so long, after so many years, stuff like that will start happening. Yeah. Like anything else, when you when you have a job that you do day in and day out, uh, after a decade or longer. You know, eventually there's going to be some weird once, you know, once in a lifetime shit that might, no pun intended, that might, um, yeah. That might occur. I mean, I remember this one, there's like this one gig that's like one of my all time favorite gigs with the Downtown Harvest and nobody was there. It was at this place called the uh, Dutch Cottage in Skipback, Pennsylvania. Damn. And uh, it, had a, it had a, like, um, <laughs> had a pool table and it had a pa system that we just couldn't turn off like we could lower it down but for some reason we couldn't get it to like go completely off so we were playing our music and then every time in between songs you would hear like i'm a simple kind of man it was just miserable you know like nobody clapping but we got shit faced drunk like just torched and uh i remember that gig specifically because tom had a broken like ankle or something and he couldn't couldn't stand for the show and he was in like in a bar stool the whole time and uh, i'm sorry dutch cottage is the full confession here on the show tonight at uh 7 13 p.m on june 24th yeah. i uh I, th- I believe we stole uh, a very large restaurant industrial size jar of pickles from you and we're extremely sorry but you should know that we wrote a song about it that was never released called pickles but yeah that gig nobody there but we played and also we played like a bad out of hell like we you know like some even like with judy kim in the assassination we played this gig one time in birmingham alabama two three people in a place that should have fit at least 900 you know what i mean but like just ripped it you know it's like sometimes it's got to be for you and not for the sound guy who's being a dick or the venue who's like let's go let's go or the casual onlooker who's like you're too loud can you just turn down a little bit right uh, yeah and i guess for me at this point in my life it's like I've, the last five years or so, I've always had some kind of anchored gig where I'm hired to be a guitar player for somebody to accompany a singer songwriter or to play in some kind of touring band where um, I get told what to do. And I love and I love that, you know, mm-hmm. show up this time. Here are the songs. Here are your parts. Here's or here's what you here's how you would approach these songs. That's great. Um, and, and thankfully, I've been able to make enough money from the couple of those gigs of touring gigs that I've had. And I've had some leftover um, time to be able to do my own shit however I want. And for me, that's always been important. You know, like I, I tell people, if I really wanted to make like maximum money playing music, I would have simply joined a wedding band like eight years ago and then just called it a day and done that because they make a killing and it's easy. But for me, it's, a, it's about always having some time budgeted to do music that I believe in, play with people that I like uh to have a good time but then to also just dive into whatever it is that i might want to dive into whether people like it or not you know and again it's back to what you said there needs to be some degree of the time i invest in music that is strictly personal for me for my own enjoyment or else i don't really see much of a point of doing this at all 
Yeah, man. I, I saw that you were releasing some of uh, your solo albums, and you know, you also got me thinking, is this guy really cutting the grass? Somebody's cutting the grass back there, ladies and gentlemen, but you're just going to have to deal with it. The wedding bands, uh, and for the listeners out there, uh, this is just a crazy fact, too, because it just struck me. Some of these bands, like, you don't even rehearse with. You just show up, and you know the one, four, five, and eight. You know what I mean? And you either have um, chemistry or you have no chemistry. And it sounds like a piece of like, you know, like cardboard or something like that. But like, isn't it nuts that like that's acceptable on someone's biggest day of their life? The band up there who's supposed to get the groove on has never played together once, you know, yeah. like or not like in that faction of like every musician. Because I know a couple of bands that do that as well. And like, I've been offered that too as well. And I was like, I would rather die a slow death, dude, than do that. Like, they're not clapping for, for you. And like, it has nothing to do with ego per se, because I don't know what it is about playing cover songs, but I, I always had a problem with it. It was just like, I felt like I was like stealing a car, you know, like it just felt wrong, you know, like I get it and we did it, but I was yeah, reluctant. I was always reluctant, except for when we covered Love Buzz by Nirvana and that I was okay with. So <laughs> it's it, with cover bands too. It's like, you know, when I was younger, when my teenage years, I inevitably played in a cover band or two. And it's one thing to do like a theme tribute, you know, like I do plenty of those oftentimes like of one specific artist, JJ Kale, I'm doing a, a thing recently, Tom Petty. I love playing the Mike Campbell parts. I've had a Led Zeppelin thing. It's been going for a long time. Um, sometimes I'll, I'll do like obscure instrumental cover songs. That's cool too. And every now and then, Perhaps I'll do, you know, bust out like a Stones cover or something on a gig. But when we're talking about cover songs and cover bands, it doesn't include any of that because what we're talking about is there's like a there's like a universal set list, cover band set list, at least from yeah. my hometown, northeastern Pennsylvania, <laughs> where it's like, okay, I'm gonna start a cover band, great. www.northeasternpennsylvaniacoverbandsonglist.com and it's like every band plays the same roughly 50 songs. And you know the songs I'm talking about. We don't have to name them. And I have no no disrespect to the bands doing that and the people listening. But at the same time, that is not for me. If, um, you know, Goody Two Shoes is on the set list, I'm out. You know? Or like, um, <laughs> or like I'm trying to think of all the other ones now. Crazy Bitch, Fuck oh, Cherry, God, you yeah. know, like that kind of stuff. I'm out, man. You could. I, I'm not playing that shit. Um, I and- uh, the first. So the first band that I saw after the pandemic had wrapped uh, was in Myrtle Beach, and uh, I was, they were on a band break, Justin. And like I was like so excited because I knew they were about to come back, and they were a cover band, and they just had the, the most beautiful looking gear, but they just had zero chemistry up there, and it was so disheartening to like you know like finally we're back, but they suck. But that's just the thing too is like people just like like the, the, the people say oh they're my favorite band like no they're your favorite chemistry that's what works for you is that there's so much more like i was like watching coldplay the other day at the gym like on good morning america and like i kept thinking like people associate coldplay with chris martin but chris martin doesn't write all that shit i don't know if you've ever seen like a doc on them but like they've been together since day one most of them you know what i mean and like they associate all the songs with one person there's so many other things facets to go into you know the song it's weird how like people don't realize that it's the chemistry led zeppelin wouldn't be led zeppelin without that chemistry you know some bands do make it and i think you know a few you know because i know a few that 
are successful bands that I, I feel like they have no chemistry. Yeah. Or like, you know, you get into instances where by the time the band really, you know, um, irons out all of the dysfunction, which could maybe take a few years and they're still successful. And there's only like one or two re remaining original members where they just have people for hire to play the songs, you know, sometimes depending on the, what kind of style you're playing, you can get away with that. But ultimately I've always loved the bands. I mean, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers is a wonderful example. If you take like any one guy out of that unit, it's going to be, it's going to make for a completely different kind of thing because those guys have the groove because they have the pocket together. They, you know, they've, they've been playing the, the same songs together for so long, rest in peace, Tom Petty. But like all those little nuancey pockets, all those little subtle things, the meta things of like, I know the bass player and the drummer do this at this time of this song. It's unspoken, but because we've been playing the song for 30 years, I just know that. Mm -hmm. That's what that's that extra little like half of a percent that is the difference between, you know, these memorable bands and the chemistry and then just being like one notch below. Above it's like everybody. all that. Yeah. No. It's weird. It's re it's really weird. I've never actually even like uh, thought about it in words though. It's just the it's so uh, the first time it ever really occurred to me like it was like when the I can't remember the first time Nirvana got back together without Kurt. I think it was it was the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I think that was the first time that was legit. And then they did like a small club afterwards. But like the weird thing was like hearing the instrumental part of it, the pocket per se, you know. And the the just the way that Chris Novoselic plays the bass with Dave Grohl, that's Nirvana, that chemistry. You know, you could put some of his voice in there, obviously, but it's not Kurtz, but like something about like sometimes it could be two people and then the other like makes it go even better. But like, I don't know. I, I personally, I would love to like start like I've been to like in bands and I've been invited to participate in bands where I should have said no at the beginning because I could foresee that the chemistry just wouldn't work, you know, on stage and off stage. Like th that's such an important thing too, is like, you know, you got to get along, you know, to some degree. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you have to like the people you're playing with and you know, after you play in bands for so long and I'll do a quick little sidebar about downtown harvest from what I remember, because we're talking about Kurt mm -hmm. and you guys, I remembered either from just talking to you guys backstage or perhaps reading one interview that the local press ran, you, you guys were pretty outspoken about like, well, one guy in the band has a, you know, is really into like the Beatles and another guy really loves Nirvana and like night, you know, 90s stuff early 90s Seattle stuff and so on and so forth. And um, how you guys are able to kind of successfully um, marry all of these different vibes and approaches and sounds to be, to be one cohesive thing that was downtown harvest where, you know, no, not everybody has to be perfectly compatible. That's impossible. There's no nuclear, perfect nuclear family band, but when you have that kind of perfect, formula where everybody brings a little something to the table they have that chemistry and everybody is uh, aware of that to at least some extent that's when i feel like you can really get into um some territory where there's uniqueness there's some magic happening some kind yeah and also too i mean I, 
thank you for that. Downtown Harvest um, was no different than the boxing match at a venue too. Like, and when I say that, like, it, it, it wasn't easy to accomplish those things. Like, um, and I tried to do it again before the pandemic, which was just wild too, because it's like it took so many years to get them you know like after the band had broken up the first time and then we had gotten back and like done like a small reunion show i was like we should just continue this you know what i mean people like it it's like it's fun you know we're getting paid to play our own original stuff whatever and then you know for the most part i think it was like six seven years and then as soon as i get it boom the pandemic happens and then like the the venue was like can we push it back can we push it back and i was like i i want to so bad but like it just the inevitability of like, you know, I guess now like the markets are opening up again and who knows, but I mean, it was just a bummer because I was very much looking forward to um, making new downtown harvest music because I had been in other bands and started another band and the chemistry just never was the same. And it's like, it's like trying to get your favorite dish at another restaurant. It just sucks, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. So you guys had a, would you have a gig booked like, and then the pandemic came and it caused the gig yeah. to be, canceled well i mean yeah i mean like the gig was booked and then they want us to like you know reschedule and like you know at the time like first off it was a major major stretch to even get one member to come up from alabama you know what i mean like that's and like he was just like you know when when's things gonna go back to normal and then we never knew seems like things are now and uh i'm always on board it's just i have to pertain to the interests of the three others but once again i'll just say a boxing match you know what i mean like if if it was me i mean we would have never stopped playing to be honest with you we just never would have you know because of that said chemistry because you, you don't get a shot at that twice and some 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 bands you could be in a band and you know i'm sure you can relate to this too as well and you know that that person does have chemistry but they're doing everything they can to self-sabotage themselves for some odd reason which relates towards being an artist, I, I believe in, in, in most, it's like a self-deprecation awareness of like how your creativity stands out in society. I've seen like musicians just completely fold in on themselves because they can't come to terms with it. I think maybe I might be talking about myself, but you know what I mean? Sure, like, well, we all know. Everybody has that. You know, I, one of the albums I released is called Controlled Burn, which entertains this very thought that we're discussing, which is like, you know, to what extent can you control your awareness of like your, you know, the dark side, all of the self-sabotaging side, the, um, cause I don't know, it's just living somewhere in the middle of that, just knowing what like all of the demons are and knowing that you can't surrender to all those entirely, but you need them to be there and you need to be on semi good terms with them to also facilitate good art. And the yeah, control, I, I, the control I agree 100%. Thing, right? right in the middle of all that where you could find a happy medium between like all the darkness that you're talking about and the things that break up bands and the things that could cause dysfunction amongst people and bands versus like, you have to kind of like milk a little bit of that to be able to, in my opinion, make good art. But if you surrender all the way to that, then it's good. You're going to, you're going to, you know, decompose and nobody was going to want to play with you or be around you. But if you ignore all that altogether, then it's like, for at least me, it's like a, all the emotional side and the expression side comes from tapping into some of that where it's a, it's a very boxing match, controlled burn, whatever you want to call it. It's yeah. like trying to find the middle ground between those two places. 
see, I also think what I miss the most about being a musician has nothing to do with music at all, at all. It was the energy exchange. Like it, and uh, I, when I was younger, I had no clue, like really what, you know, like I knew I could facilitate it. You know, I knew, I didn't know I could host like a podcast and like, talk, you know, talk for an hour, like, you know, each week. But like, I knew that like, so is, there's something to be said too about like um bringing people together right i mean like that's what we really need to be we, we always need to be with one another it's like you know we do everything we can to not be around each other and to the point we're doing a fucking podcast to zoom you know what i mean like but like back in the day and you know olden times we were always together moving through seasons you know camping hunting shit like that and it's just odd like and like with musicians it's like sometimes, um, I mean, like discovering new musicians and finding like, uh, like I just did a podcast with this band called Deluxe. Have you ever heard of them? I think so. So, I mean, I fell in love with them, man. And I could not believe like they only had like a, a couple thousand followers. Like they hadn't blown up yet, you know, but like in my eyes, they were like the biggest rock and roll band in the world, you know? And that's, I guess what I'm trying to get at is like all like what we've been talking about for like the last like 30 minutes. I, f- I feel like a lot of our angst in our boxing matches and correct me if uh, you don't feel the same sentiment, Justin, but is brought on by the offset nature of how multimedia affected the musician. That's I've been talking about it so long on the show. It's just not fair that you have to compete for said likes on Instagram to get known whereas back in the day you could just be a band in seattle and play at a noisy club and somebody could take notice it's like even if like you do have that talent now and someone takes notice there ain't shit they can do because they have to convince millions of people online who you can't even see face to face that's my angst absolutely i mean a i couldn't agree more b i was just having a conversation with somebody about this last night and you know uh See, I it's something I definitely struggle with too, um, because I hate my phone, I hate social media, I hate it. Like it, for as much you know, for for it allows me to remain in contact with a couple of people from high school that I probably could just text anyways. It really does a lot of bad for the human psyche, especially performers and musicians who are already probably somewhat self conscious or vulnerable to like that kind of thing where it really just preys on like people's uh, weaknesses. Insecurities. Point, insecurities and weaknesses to the point where like, if you spend too much time investing in that, it could change like the way you think about music so much to the point where it's like you get lost in the second identity that you need to upkeep or like even this right now, just like talking to somebody in person is just, it's so foreign to some people that live yeah. in the vortex of social media, whether you're a performer or not. and. I hope that it turns around someday and I hope that maybe there'll be enough people to realize that like, yeah, social media may not be going anywhere, but it doesn't have to be this way where like uh, it from a performance. And I guess, the, I guess the, what I've come to realize is that you as a performer and as an artist promoting podcast music, whatever, you just have to make the conscious decision to find your own um, balance and relationship with that. In other words, like, I don't have it in me to get on there every day and post where I'm playing and what I'm doing, and what I'm thinking and feeling at every moment. Cause I'm, I'm in this reality and it, 
identity, just trying to sort it out myself. I'm not going to immediately regurgitate that onto this platform. I got to, so when I have something meaningful to say, if I have something meaningful to promote, I'll get on there and do it and really make sure it's from the heart in a way that could um, positively affect people, inspire people. But all the placeholding bullshit that everybody, it's like a rat race that everybody's in that's never stopping a treadmill, it's running full speed. You got to step off of it from time to time. Like I took, I took a huge break from social media last year in the pandemic and it was the best thing I've ever done and it was long overdue and I'm glad that I was able to do it just to know that like I could come back after not posting anything for six months and the the, the little base that I've built up over the last decade is still there and they were still with me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree a hundred percent with you. Uh, well, it's not natural. And like, you know, the, the past 20 years, you know, of social media's uh, imprint on the human race it's never been documented. So we have no fucking clue. I mean, like, first off, we're doing a podcast, which I, when I was a kid, I was obsessed with the radio. It's funny how you brought that up earlier, but I too, like lived and died by w, uh, WDRE here in Philadelphia, 93.3 WMR, all these radio stations, like being clung to it. You know what I mean? And always thinking like, man, dude, one day I really wish I could have a radio station, you know, or like talk, you know? And like, I've done what, 308, 309 episodes. I have no idea. Like, I um, like that I can do this each week and it takes nothing out of me, you know, like it takes no, um, no effort, but like, it's also connecting me with the ancient old thing called conversation or language. You know what I mean? Like talking to somebody. Yeah. For some people it's no, it's, it's too weird. Like even like some of my close, close personal friends, they can't maintain a, a intellectual conversation for um, 55. So uh, some of my de- dear friends have never been on the show. And I've been doing this since 2013, just because like they're either too scared. I've had people like I've asked to be on and they're too scared, but they're like massive great chatters in real life. But like, not everybody's a performer. When I was younger, I used to think that I could make everybody a performer too. And like make them enjoy like what it feels like to stand in the, um, spotlight you know but like i don't know social media is especially i mean like i really don't like talking about myself like on the show with it's called the fucking podcast but like it hurt me um yeah it hurt me like the social media's effect on my band and my um ambition to succeed was um stalled by the um introduction of like myspace and facebook and so on and so forth because everything like i had moved to los angeles just at the beginning of myspace you know like it was just starting out and the rules were still applicable as to like what it was in the 90s and 80s when like motley Crue was playing the sunset strip we got gigs right away out there it was easy but then you know slowly and surely um how many people follow you or how many friends do you have on MySpace? You know, like, and I was just so pissed because I had done all the other work, you know, like I had gotten the band into like, you know, the, the, the fighting working order that I could take them to the boxing match. But then I get to the boxing match and I find out I'm not fighting, you know, one person I'm fighting millions of people like all around the fucking world. And I was just, and then like every iteration of my artistic expression through my bass instrument, 
that always came into play with social media. How many followers do you have? Then like being in bands where we pay to get on playlists and then like nothing fucking happens. And it's just other people making money off of musicians and their creativity and all this shit. And it's like, man, I, I just, I miss, I just wish that I, I, I was like, I wish I was older. I wish I was 60 years old because I, I doubt, don't doubt that I would have had what it would have taken to get to the top because you have to have chemistry in the band panache. You got to be able to be in the right place at the right time. And we were in several places at the right time, but the internet faltered us. Yeah. I mean, that reminds me and, and just also to identify like how rapidly things change are changing based around that, where, I would say probably like eight ish years ago, I played in a band that like got signed, whatever that mean, whatever you want that to mean in this day and age. So we, we signed. What band was that? Is this, uh, this is. This was a band called Leroy justice, a, a rock, okay. band, yep. a rock band based out of New York city. That was one of the first like touring bands I played with. This was a few years after we crossed paths, but, um, you know, we had an opportunity to work with like a small label that had some um, resources they could help us with. So we had some some great like PR backing and they put out our record. And one of the big things about it was for the, for the first month or two, we had to have a weekly conference call or meetings with a guy who was a wonderful dude and really intelligent, but his sole purpose was um, digital marketing. And he would talk to us about like all of the algorithms and how you know the times of day where people are going to see what you're going to and at the time i mean i was 22 ish i didn't I hardly, I hardly had any money and um i didn't have like i even have a smartphone at the time and he was just like you should be posting this this and this post this at these times and like justin you're a guitar player you should post stuff about your guitar and your gear and stuff i'm like you don't understand at all like the that's, that's sacred to me. It's, I don't want people to know what kind of overdrive pedal I'm using. I don't want people to know what some of my tricks are that I've spent a lot of time working on just to then pour it out to people. Hey, here it is. And I remember I really struggled because I was like, oh, this is what you have to do to actually like be successful. I have to like do all this to that's what being successful is. What about like fans practicing for eight hours a day or something? This is like not necessarily what I signed up for. I understand yep. it and I get, I get it, but I'm like, this really changes my idea of like what it even means to, to do all this in regards to like, if that's what that is, I don't necessarily want to be that, but I could still find a way to do this maybe just over here instead where I could kind of do things on my own terms, just even like 25%. Yeah. I think a lot of bands try, try to accomplish that too, as well. Like um, do different things. Like I'm really, I like this. I like 21 pilots very much just because they're so um, avant-garde. Like their live stream that they did for 60 minutes was like a, like a play uh, with like multiple stages. And now they're touring and they're just going to a city and playing three venues through the week, it, doing the same set each night. Like I remember, like I went to see Incubus once two times for the morning view tour thinking like, I can't wait to see what they play the next time. It was the same exact set. And I was just like, yeah. so, you know, I was just like, ah, they can't, you know, because the production had stepped up so much that the stage had to like move towards certain songs and everything got so big that like you just, you know, it wasn't 
like no band right now can do what Freddie Mercury did ever, like walk out and just play like what six songs and blow everybody away with right. no dividers, by the way, in the middle. Like there's always a gimmick. There's always something like um, right. like I like I, like I'm not talking shit on him, but like Machine Gun Kelly, like he, he he's a rapper and he's like a, a post punk guitar player. I have no idea what he's doing, but like he's putting yeah. out singles all the time like all the time and like he's making money doing it he's making money but it's like i think that they could be worked on a little bit longer you know like like i'm not talking shit but it's like we also live now in the single world too which is like you know i i remember the single as a kid the cassette tape single being like the like the worst like getting like the just the previews and not the movie you know what i mean like you gotta buy a cassette or a cd with two tracks on it yeah yeah well, let me put this in my CD player eight minutes later. Okay. You know, I guess, I'll, I guess that's it. Um, yeah. yeah, totally. But I, you know, I, I do long for those days though, too. And that's also like ties into like the whole theme of our podcast here tonight is like, you know, there's something to be said about that. Like the time and age where consuming something meant something because I mean, not just with music, but like if you think about it now too, like I like I DoorDash, right? People don't give a shit about food no more. I get the Chipotle bag, I throw the fucking Chipotle bag at their door, and then there it is. You know what I mean? Like there's no uh, blessing for it. There's nobody eating with you. There's nothing like right. it's an afterthought. There's no gratitude for it, you know. And like I'm just I'm happy and very fortunate that um, I grew up in a time when that was something that was applicable towards the youth that like you, you had to work towards something and like wait for the VHS tape to arrive at Blockbuster. Like I, I'm so nostalgic about that shit. And you know what, Justin, you gave me an idea, dude. Like I I'm, I'm glad I'm just going to say that loud. Cause if somebody steals it before me, please uh, with all respect, uh, give me at least the story credit. What if there was like a time travel, like, like movie, like comedy about like, okay. So hear me out. Like, like, I'm a '90s kid, right? <laughs> you know '90s culture, right? But like, what if there was a time travel thing where a '90s kid got matched up with an 1890s kid, <laughs> and they had to do some sort of mission, which like was like angst fueled? I'm writing this shit tonight, dude. After we get done, I think this is great. Because <laughs> if you think about it, think about what it was like, Justin, in like 1890. Like, imagine being like, "Well, we've been riding horses for so long, man." Oh yeah. Industrial Revolution. Yeah, uh, it's like that was at a time where people actually started to like uh, the workforce was kind of like made in America yeah. in terms of like that was when people actually started drinking coffee in the morning and getting up not just at any given time, but they're like that's when there really started to be a lot of order to the workforce and like whether you liked it or not, you were probably finding a job that was um, in whatever the you know. Yeah, whatever the whatever the manual labor was at that time. Imagine the angst, though, yeah. of the cowboy, the, 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 the kid who's like, you know, raised steep in cowboy culture, you know, cigarettes, whiskey and all the shit. And then people start like, you know, riding trains. <laughs> you know, what I mean? what's this all about? Like, you know, like, where's my nay? But I it's it's funny, too, because like, you know. Um, something you mentioned there about coffee, too, struck me. Uh, so that's where when they start drinking coffee, do you, are you familiar with um, why uh, the espresso drink, the Americano is called the Americano? I'm not. I could probably take a wild guess, but I take, take a wild guess. Take a wild guess because I like wild guesses. I would assume that it probably had to do with like coffee, not having enough juice. 
and um no no uh, you're, you're you're close but in the opposite way so okay so world war one right so we get out there in the trenches we're like oh dude you know what are we gonna do we got this new coffee drink called espresso right so they give it to the americans and the americans drink it and next thing you know they're shooting off their guns they're going fucking wild yeah so then uh like you know uh anybody like you know opposite people from a different country italy and stuff like that they just start pouring hot water in there and calling it the americano so that way the Americans wouldn't go so crazy because at the time the coffee sucked so bad in our country. Yeah. It wasn't even coffee. It was like mud water, you know what I mean? But hence the Americano, you know, you, we couldn't slow, handle slow it. Slow everyone down a little bit. So they're not slow going down. the ape shit. Yeah, that, that's, that's good trivia. I'm going to run with that. I'm going to definitely uh, tell people about that. Make sure you Google it too because I've been saying it for a while. Maybe I missed a couple of details or maybe you can add a couple of details. That's the beautiful sure. thing about telling stories sometimes is that like, like I was a social studies um, teacher briefly. I had a degree in secondary ed, and like I liked history because we talked. We talked. To, sorry to cut you off. We talked yeah, about. This I remember this. Day. You remember because I was going yeah. at the time. I was studying secondary ed history, just getting into it. It was right before I stopped going to school, but we did speak about that yeah. some time ago. I recall. I recall that chat, and um, you know, history. So the the crazy thing about history too is like a you know. The history that we were taught in school obviously isn't the, um, you know, the culturally appropriate history that should be told to people the harsh truth. But like I that's a whole whole other podcast. And like, I, you know, I was shocked too, like as anybody else to find out that the foundation of the country was created by slaves. Like I remember like thinking like that was so glossed over in my social studies books as a kid, finding out at that later in life. It was just a tough thing to swallow. You know what I mean? Like, but with history, like case point being like it can be manipulated which is nuts right like it's like people want history to be written in a way that appeases them that's like their main goal if they become famous like they want the wikipedia story to end at least on a good note not like you know there's a tab for like a controversy or something like that but where was i going with that sorry it's been a long day (laughs) no it's all right so all right history Talking about history. I just so like history. So, so like I always say too, it's like I would like people want to know like how do you fix it? Like I always say that the, the way to do it is to just start all over. Like anytime you're like you're pissed off at King George and you start a whole new country. Uh, anytime you make a decision in anger, it never ends well for you. Ultimately, you know you have to circle back around and like re-evaluate that said anger. We were pissed off because we we're getting taxed. Now I'm getting taxed out the ass over here, man. You know. Yeah. You know, in, in regards to like education and stuff too, I mean, I just remember when I was really starting to get into like, I was at a crossroads where I could either like got out of the teaching game when I did, or I would have had to really like step up and invest a lot more money and time to finish those last yeah. couple of the steps. And I just remember learning more about how like uh, curriculums work and about who decides what is in a curriculum for any oh, given yeah any given public school and learning about all of just the politics and interests that go into that, that have absolutely nothing to do with like educating in the right way or educating with the idea of like critical thinking in mind, on at least on a secondary education level where I'm from, that was a tremendous turnoff. And it's just like this whole teaching thing is not what I thought it would be. It's not, I was quickly, I was quickly informed based on my findings that it's not like, oh, yeah, you could just be a teacher and like change people's lives. It's like, no, not necessarily. 
this is exactly what you have to teach kids in this way for like a vast majority of the year with little to no flexibility to put your own spin on things in terms of how it's delivered to students where I'm like, I don't know if I feel good about doing this as my profession anymore as somebody who wants to like positively impact or influence kids. Cause I, you know, I coached for many years, I coached track and cross country and I was able to do it that way. But I just remember there was a, there was a point where I had to reckon with that. And I just remember that I was like, this is not necessarily what I signed up for. Yeah. Same sentiment there too, as well. I mean, I lasted just a few years in the public school system because of said thing and the bureaucracy of like, you know, how you should, you know, approach education and then I had the opposite effect when I went and taught at a Quaker school where the kids called me Bob and I worked there for a while too, but also too, like having see freedom in education too also comes with its pitfalls, you know, like there has to be some sort of order, but not an order that tips the scale in the favor of it becoming, you know, too bossy or, or, or like, uh, I, I tend to think that like our country like, like, like most of the people who are like so crazy about like, I'll probably lose some listeners here, but whatever. Like the same people who um, get so pissed off that the American flag is being burned probably have no idea how the American flag was created. They're not interested in that story. They're not interested in that history. But what they are interested in is what the symbol means, right? We, as humans, we're so fucking obsessed with symbols, right? Like, the symbol, like the like for me, the bat signal. You know what I mean? I'm obsessed with the bat signal. Anytime I say it, I want to buy it. We're always looking for symbols and stuff like that, but we're never like looking within, you know. And I think that that is a mistake with um with education, as we spoke about earlier. People being like, "Well, I can't play the guitar. It's just I can't." And it's like, yes, you have willpower, right? Like if you were drowning and you only had like this much left, like you know, like a quarter inch of like air left, you would breathe every last amount of it. You would do everything you could. To make sure that you could accomplish your goal right like live like longer people give up all the time man. and it's like I, I i tend to applaud musicians because it is a boxing fight it is a battle but it's like it shouldn't be that way we should be up in the castle after we've just performed for the king and queen resting comfortably with fruit nuts and delicious wine do you know what i mean like it, should, <laughs> it should be that way. that's yeah. awesome i absolutely yeah. agree with you because what we do is important and um you know people music i believe in the power of music uh, as a healer and i and i know we talked earlier about the energy exchange it's like whether you're on the receiving or giving side to that for me at least it's what you know one of the things that i do strive for and live for is just those moments where there's some kind of connectivity with people you feel it they feel it could be small could be large but like there's not a lot of professions out there where that's achievable in any way. And there's not a lot of ways to really get that if you're just a consumer. And I agree hundred percent. Yeah. I, I hope, you know, in this second coming in this post pandemic um, world that perhaps there will be a better platform for musicians to be appreciated in that way. We're like um, river street jazz cafe. That's where we played. I just played there a week ago where I had to really make a couple of um, changes, which uh, mainly being, okay, jazz cafe shows start very late, historically late crowds, people come in when they want to, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like, I'm going to have to A, jack up the ticket price and B, I'm going to have to start this earlier and let people know like, hey, it's going to be different this time around. It's 
tickets are going to be expensive. I'm sorry. This is how it's going to have to be. And it's going to be, it's going to start two hours earlier than uh, you thought. And I realized that now my fan base in the area is a little bit older. So I don't think anybody was really complaining about that, but it was just kind of a big risk in regards to like, I want to give somebody a great performance. They, and the fact that they met with me in the middle a little bit and I was able to get a, an attentive crowd that meant so much to me that I had, maybe I sacrificed a little bit of ticket sales based on the price or the start time. But this experiment that I took and knowing that like I had this core base of people that went with me on it where I was going to do some delicate shit, some delicate instrumental stuff. And people were right there. They were sitting, listening. Um, that gave me a lot of hope moving forward that I could, you know, still have a place to do the things that I want. And if you're just real and honest with people and give and give them your best. Yeah, I agree. You know, I agree 100%. Um, you know, this podcast was... Um... This is what I love about doing the podcast is like it's like, you know, a show, or whatever dialogue between people. But sometimes it can come off as therapy, like for <laughs> my PTSD from <laughs> being in bands and stuff like that. I feel better about myself. And I, I, I'll let you know that uh, as soon as I uh, wrap this podcast tonight, I'm going to play some music uh, over here in the, the studio room. But uh, Justin, always a pleasure. I'm going to list uh, some stuff here down below so people could check check out your stuff, your accolades and all the things that you're doing or uh, have done in the past. Always a pleasure. And once again, thanks for the kind words about Downtown Harvest, bro. Oh, absolutely. And again, I'll just say it one more time. Uh, you guys are legitimately one of my favorite bands. Uh, I'm sure you remember Elena, a good friend of mine to this day. And uh, we talk about Downtown Harvest all the time. Uh, those two or three albums I listen to into the ground, man, and, and still have in rotation. And I'm thankful that I crossed paths with you guys when I did because um, – and now that I live in Philly, everything's kind of full circle. You have absolutely uh, been a, the band has been a great inspiration to me in terms of a couple of things, but mainly just like a lot of we touched upon in this podcast, which is doing your own thing, man, and and doing your own thing on your own terms. And even though you you know the sacrifices that have to be made to do that, uh, it's knowing that like at least for me, in my case, like if I could just get across to a couple of people that that's all that matters to me. But for, for you guys, you definitely left a lasting impact in terms of like inspiration. Oh, I appreciate that very much. Thank you very I, much. I, uh, I think that's all a, mu a musician or a fan of music could ask for, you know, is like to be able to leave an impression on somebody, you know, and uh, I, I love discovering new music still to this day, man. And that's, I like bringing musicians on this show. So once again, thank you very much, sir. My name is Bob, and this has been another episode of Bobcast. <laughs>